0: I just want to thank each and every one of y'all for all you've done to your bodies. It's still real to me, damn it! I mean, thank, thank, you. You, thank you, man.
1: Thank
2: you, all guys. Hey, you grab crazed youngsters! Welcome to Then, Now, Whatever, the Wrestling Podcast with another episode of the Tape Trader Diaries where we reach down the back of the sofa for an old wrestling show and we root around until we get nothing but mothballs left over. I'm your host the Dr. Among Men, Duncan Joyce. I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H Mark in show business, Mr. Kyle Cambry. Hello and welcome everybody. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? I am pretty good. We wound up having a little bit of a break because football nearly came home. How broken is not even the word. <laughs> oh, I know. It was a wonderful tournament. It's just a shame we couldn't take it all the way. Yeah, fantastic
0: tournament. Really enjoyed it.
2: I was also really busy because I finished the Endpoint Assessment for my apprenticeship and I got a merit. Well done. Thank you. All go with you. Is school finishing up? Yeah, all finished
0: now. So I'm done for the summer. So I've got a few different projects going on. The local theatre company that I'm committee member for, we've been starting to get back up and running to get a few shows going. Our first show is of Mice and Men in September. Full steam ahead for that.
2: Nice job. Yeah, we'll also be hopefully having some TNW related projects coming up. Yeah. Maybe even with some guests. Hmm. But speaking of guests, we're not alone today, are we, Kyle? We're not, no. Allow <laughs> well, me to introduce once again on the show from the Boys Natural Podcast. It's Mister Lee Carlos Cunningham.
1: All right, lads, pleasure to be here once again.
2: Great to have you back, Lee. Talk me through this show that you picked out for us here.
1: I guess in the in the true spirit of the Tape Trader Diaries is one that I just randomly got given by a girl at school when I was in, I think, 2000. I was in year 11, so not a girl that I was especially close with, just sort of, you know, a casual acquaintance at school and just one day said, oh, you like wrestling, don't you? And went, yeah, yeah. And she went, oh, I taped um, Smith down last night and I brought it in for you. I'm like, oh, holy shit, thank you. Over here in <laughs> Australia, um, we had a pay TV provider, Foxtel, very similar to Sky over there at the time in 2000. Awesome. I would say it was in like 10 to 15% of homes in Australia. So pay TV was actually quite uncommon over here.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Bit of a rare white unicorn here having some wrestling to get a hold of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this was just one that has always stuck with me. Kyle appreciate this. Actually, it's the Triple H match that just always stuck in my head. And as we'll go through... <laughs> As we go through, when we review it, there's probably about 60% of this tape, like, really rang home with the memories of watching it, and about the other 30-40% I'm looking at going, I have no recollection of this whatsoever.
2: <laughs> well, just to kind of peel back the curtain for you here, ladies and gentlemen, we thought that this was going to be a different episode of SmackDown that we were going to be, be watching because there was a similar tag team match involving Triple H that took place on it, and I wound up taking notes of that entire show and Rather enjoying it but that episode had a lot of familiar memories to me because it was the week that the WWF got floated on the stock market they had the big rally in Wall Street with the ring in the street and stuff like that and I remember seeing those clips on the heat that week but just to kind of timestamp this here We're looking today at the episode of Smackdown that aired on October 12th, 2000 from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. This being Smackdown, of course, it was taped two days earlier. So this was actually recorded on my
1: 11th birthday.
2: Interesting. Happy
1: 11th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) That just aged me a lot. Thanks a
2: lot. Happy birthday, Donk! Rikishi did it for The Rock! Do <laughs> I mean, you lads have any significant wrestling events that ever happened on any of your birthdays? Not that I can think of.
1: No, I'm an early August baby, so there's no pay-per-views on my birthday. Yet. The only August-related, like, really deep wrestling memory is when I was seven, so it would have been in the lead-up to SummerSlam 91 my mum obviously booked tickets to move to Australia in August and I begged her to delay the flight until after SummerSlam to no avail. <laughs> <laughs> I tried so hard.
0: <laughs> like mine's end of September, so anything to do with me was always the fallout of SummerSlam and like the build up of new sort of rivalry. So nothing major really seemed to to happen in, in September. That I can recall, anyway.
2: I guess I have this problem, too, being relatively early in a month, kind of like you, Lee. It's not really a pay-per-view going on, and so I get stuck with random episodes of TV like this. But this is a particularly eventful show because we're just coming off what, according to Michael Cole, was one of the most controversial nights in WWF history. Mick Foley finally solved the case of who ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin, and... We've probably buried the lead a little bit with uh, some of our jokes at the start here, but we'll get into that because they run through it on the show. Michael Cole also promises us that the Staples Center will turn into the snake pit when Austin confronts Rikishi, who had just confessed to running him over at Survivor Series. I don't think Jake Roberts was in any fit state to be hosting any interview segments at this time, Michael. (laughs) We see Austin lurking in his pickup truck, probably listening to some Backstreet Boys.
1: <laughs> I'm really worried, like, as this goes on, and I'm sure we'll talk about this quite a, a bit through the night, how did he not flatten his battery sat there with the, with the, with the car on all night? <laughs> <laughs> Good old
2: reliable Ford engineering, glee. Yeah. <laughs> we then get promoted the Road Dog and Triple H versus Chris Benoit and Perry Sutton tag team match that drew lead to this show. Perry Sutton's mugshot is extremely distracting. He is not looking into the camera at all. It's like he's got Sean's bad eye in both of his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Sutton. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also promised Kane is going to take on Kurt Angle. We open up with... Uh, Tag Team Table Match. It's the Dudley boys taking on D-Lo Brown and Chaz, a.k.a. Lowdown. Lowdown were given the in-ring treatment, and they actually tried to baseball slide the table Bubba and Devon were carrying to the ring, but the Dudleys got wise to it and whacked Lowdown with said table. Los Conquistadors' music distracts the Dudleys, and the challenges for the Tag Team titles at No Mercy join commentary. They introduce themselves as Uno and Dos. Si, senor. <laughs> I tell you what, I thought their commentary was a load of old Dos, alright. <laughs> oh, I loved it.
1: Mil Mascaris, S.A. Rios.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you hear King later on in the night. I think one of them was S.A. Rios. They kept saying S.A. Rios. They're Mexican, they're not Pokemon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if sa Rios grew two feet maybe they'd have a chance but um, yeah. yeah i this is one of those parts of the show that just like really stuck with me through the years like if anybody ever said conquistadors to me i would just straight away go into "Si senor Rios. Yeah.
2: <laughs> rather like their favorite
1: beer that they
2: cite in some of their segments it's aged kind of poorly i guess <laughs> Bubba hits a sidewalk slam that allows the Dudleys to hit the ladder on Chaz and D-Lo one after the other. Chaz saved D-Lo from being double suplexed for a table by turning the table over and then hit a wicked tornado DDT onto the tabletop to Bubba. Right, you know I'm a, a gripe for wrestling logic like you here, Lee. Michael Cole says here, keep in mind, there are really no rules in this matchup. Right at the moment that the referee tries to make Devon stay on the apron because he's not the legal man.
1: <laughs> Gotta love it.
2: Just get it straight. This is either a no-holds-barred fight or it's a real tag team match. It allows d to basement dropkick Bubba square in the balls. Sadly, Taz isn't around at ringside for Bubba to complain about it.
0: Sorry.
2: <laughs> Devon turned the table over to save Bubba from getting Hurricane Rana through it. And then the Bubba bomb allowed Devon to get the hot tag, hit his reverse DDT, the Dudleys used the Dudleyville device, d came back with a sky high only to get cracked on the top rope and 3D'd through the table to get the Dudleys the victory. Yeah, how about this for an opener? Kyle, you first.
0: I completely forgot about Lowdown. I'll be honest. <laughs> so when I saw them come out, I was like, oh, okay, cool. It was just a nice, e- easy opener. You can break rules in a tables match, so pointless. The ref marking stuff out, like you said. <laughs> yeah, just just nice, nice and easy. They obviously knew what they were doing. Went with the flow, and um, yeah, an easy watch.
2: Indeed, Lee.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed this. First of all, I'd be remiss when you talk about that baseball slide to the bollocks and Taz to not mention that it was right in the yam bag. (laughs) 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 This is like right in the height of what's up as a thing like it was. Pretty over for the crowd there. But, yeah, I really enjoyed this as an opener. I think, like, the tables matches at this point hadn't been really overdone and it was like a gimmick. Everybody loves seeing someone go through a table and they kept a really good pace. D'Lo's in amazing shape here and the Dudleys are awesome. So I really enjoyed this.
2: Aside from the Conquistador commentary and the stupid rules, this was a perfectly serviceable opener. Lowdown didn't look totally outmatched whatsoever, and they really kept the crowd invested in this. This is a good bit of fun. This is Lowdown kind of in the wilderness here. Like It's before they've got Tiger Ali Singh, so they're just in the playing baggy trousers all in white. So it's right in their kind of genesis period it's an interesting sort of showcase for them. And they did a couple of cool things. We're then shown a video package of Eddie Guerrero and China's breakup from Monday night raw. It all started when China couldn't find Eddie all day long ahead of their tag team match against the right to censor. Eddie got offended by the lack of trust, but then during the match GTV footage aired of Eddie fooling about (laughs) with two ladies in the shower. And did you spot who one of the ladies was guys?
1: No? But, yeah, the one and only Victoria.
2: indeedy yes. Uh. Eddie with the obvious line here. Okay, I know it looks bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it wasn't me.
2: <laughs> Eddie claims, I'm nothing without you, baby. And China, mid-driving away, cool as fuck is like, you already are nothing, Eddie.
1: <laughs> not her finest moment acting wise is it <laughs> Billy Gunn came in
2: and very stereotypically berated Eddie for his mistreatment of China and he paid the price for it after taking a bottle to the face
1: what is Billy Gunn wearing here by the way he just looks <laughs> <was> awful <laughs> <laughs> And side note, talking about wrestling logic, if Eddie Guerrero was gone all day and were led to believe that the reason why he was gone is because he was in the shower cheating on China, would he not be, like, wrinkly as all hell when he got back to her after spending all day in the shower? Surely that would have been a dead giveaway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he used his Latino heat to dry off. <laughs> Colin King tried to be all sad panda about all of these events, but right behind them, Michael Clark Duncan is in the front rope and making winky faces, and it's just too distracting.
1: King was amazing here. He's got the best logic ever. I don't want to put words into his mouth, but the gist he g- 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 gave me is look, it's really okay to cheat on your partner, but not if they're a Playboy Playmate, because then you'd be stupid to do it. <laughs> why would you cheat when your girlfriend's on the cover of playboy magazine it's like <laughs> you, you, you probably didn't need to carry that sentence on as long as you did King <laughs> eddie's
2: going to be teaming with x-pac to face chris jericho and billy Gunn later tonight we've then shown the rock prepping for an interview with jr and then austin scowling in his truck once again to take us to commercial yeah, so this is the dissolution of Eddie and China as a pairing. What kind of memories do you guys have of them being together?
0: It was always the flowers, and I always remember the metal bar in the, the flowers that he always used to use. That, that, that was kind of my, so they were like early, early memories. I don't really have much memory of the breakup, really. It was always like early Eddie and China that, that I kind of enjoyed.
1: My favourite Eddie and China memory is it's either Backlash or Judgment Day earlier this year. They come straight from what we're supposed to believe is Eddie Guerrero's high school prom. And Eddie Guerrero wrestles in half a tuxedo while China's on the outside in a prom dress. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that was Backlash.
2: Yeah, all my favourite memories are the early ones. If you read Eddie's book, he seemed to really enjoy this time. But then he closed it off with the very diplomatic... Unfortunately, Joni was having some personal problems at that time. And any time you get to something in Eddie's book where, you know, he had something good going on but got cut off early, he would pull that line out a few times, being very kind of diplomatic about it. I don't know what was going on from a backstage point of view surrounding this, but it was incredibly fun. And the only thing about the roses was, and the pipe being hidden in the roses, that got added to No Mercy on the N64 as a weapon, and it was categorically the worst weapon.
1: (laughs) Couldn't hit anybody with it. I I thought that's where Kyle was going before. I'm so glad.
2: (laughs) We come back from break with the video package for Raw from the previous Monday, fully investigating the case of who ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin. He started the show by interrogating Sean Michaels. Sean said, I'm ashamed to admit it, but he didn't run Stone Cold Steve Austin down. Although there is one guy who likes the spotlight just as much as he does, but is his prime suspect if you smell what he's cooking.
0: Ooh, I wonder who he's talking about. <laughs>
2: yeah. Linda McMahon then got interviewed. Can you imagine Linda McMahon?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did it. For the rock. <laughs> I know I, I did it for the stock.
2: <laughs> Drinking on the job.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Allow Stephanie and me to introduce you to the new CEO. <laughs> I suppose that could have been her motivation to do it, though. Austin did such a shitty job as CEO of WWF a year before. <laughs> Putting yeah, all the manure in the office. and.
1: Technically, he cost her her stock, didn't he? Like, by then agreeing to that loser, you know, winner-takes-all match. Like, you know, if we were to believe that he really did have control of her and Stephanie's stock, he probably put her out of a job.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Linda did reveal, however, that the man who benefited the most financially after the incident was The Rock. Scotty Too Hotty then revealed that him, Rikishi, and Grandmaster Sexy were chilling like a villain all night backstage at Survivor Series, waiting to partay with The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> this then leads Foley to confront The Rock in the ring, pointing out that there's all this evidence pointing his way. It was his rental car and The Rock's DNA was the only DNA on it. However, he's not guilty. The only man close enough to The Rock that shared his DNA and could get a hold of his keys from his dressing room was Rikishi. He was also conveniently in the middle of the ring after the main event of that show, and this leads to the infamous I did it. I did it for The Rock promo. (laughs)
1: All-time classic.
2: (laughs) The WWF were always letting the Island Boys in, but they only really cared about the Great White Hope. Hence, he did it for The Rock. Lee, take us through your thoughts on this reveal, because I think we've had some brief conversations of this coming up when uh, concerning other wrestlers.
1: For me, I actually think they got off to a good start with the reveal. Like, as much as we all make fun of, I did it for The Rock, I did it for the people... Playing the race card, we never really loved, but like I guess he did have some points in there, other than the fact that obviously The Rock had been a multi-time world champion. But for me, Rikishi just really dropped the ball on this angle pretty quickly, and it, it turned to shit within weeks. Yeah.
2: It was such a huge shock to me. The problem is, it was just too much of an about face from what was making him successful that year. 'Cause he was having a tremendous year, you know, Intercontinental champion, King of the Ring finalist. And as a big lad growing up, I did not want to kind of turn my back on this happy go lucky, hefty lad who was kind of uncomfortable in his own skin and still having a good time with it.
1: And he's at the like the real peak of his popularity. Like I guess the logic in me says that he probably was never getting any higher than he was at this period of time as a baby face. Like he was probably never going to have a rub with the world title in this gimmick. And he'd been over for the whole of 2000. Like it is, in wrestling logic, the perfect time to turn him. But I just feel like, for me, and I know this is at the very beginning and it's, we're not down the, the track yet, but like he never changed anything about his presentation to become a heel. And I think if you look back on his career, that would probably have to be his biggest regret, in my opinion, because if he'd have gone all out, gotten rid of the sumo attire and the stink face and just became a monster, he could have had a hell of a run. And in the end, by not doing that, Kyle's boy has to save him.
0: Yeah, boy. (laughs) Yeah, I think with the the whole Rikishi reveal thing, I think that to protect Rikishi a little more and stop it turning to shit as quick as what it did, they could have easily gone with having it being all eyes point to Rikishi. And, you know, the reveal come later on that it actually wasn't Rikishi, but Rikishi had to turn sort of heel to defend himself. And then it came out, you know, to keep him face. You know, it's, it's all well and good us looking back <laughs> and finding better ways of doing it. But I, I think that that could have maybe protected him a little more.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting idea, actually. I kind of feel like he arrived at his mean streak too late. So, yeah. like, we've seen some of this. We've already been through the back end of 2000 on the Tate Trader Diaries here. He gets squashed by Austin in the middle of Raw one time in the cage. And it's only after that that, you know, he beat the absolute piss out of The Rock's ribs. He whacked him with the sledgehammer out of the car and really looked like something promising. But, like, you know, even then, like, he absolutely obliterated The Rock on Survivor Series night, again, even though he lost a match. The next night on Raw, Rock got his heat back right away. Rikishi lost another match and didn't look to be in as favourable a position as you probably should have wanted him to after such a, such a monumental angle. Yeah. Lee, I don't know what you mean, though. Are you telling me that Rikishi wearing the ponchos didn't allow you to turn against him?
1: not at all i think what ultimately killed him and you kind of just touched on it there, is like austin and rock are not gonna lose to rikishi like he did not become a credible threat in time to actually have one of those guys be willing to put him over and that just kills the angle dead in the water within about six weeks
2: yeah absolutely speaking of rock we get his sit down interview with jim ross He reveals that he's just confused and sick to his stomach. He was already a success, so he feels that Rikishi's actions negate what he had already accomplished before the incident. He's known Rikishi his whole life, so he could tell from being in the ring with him during that confession that Rikishi sincerely believed he was doing the right thing. And that scares the rock. He says it's bullshit that people have been held back and is pissed that this casts a doubt that The Rock couldn't have done everything he's accomplished without Rikishi. He's been in constant contact with Stone Cold, and is cool with whatever Austin wants to do to Rikishi, but he just hopes that Austin doesn't do anything that he'll regret for the rest of his life. One thing to note here, Rock was giving this interview in his regular talking voice.
0: Yeah, not not very show, showmanshipy,
1: bringing it down a notch. Yeah, very interesting change of pace. One thing I really liked about this was it threw out the window, the typical, like, you know, one of the things we all hate when we talk about wrestling logic is like this idea that Monday happens and then nothing happens for two days or three days and SmackDown comes along and we pick up where we left off, you know, Rock sorry, talking about like I've been on the phone with Austin during the week. Everything's cool. Like it actually it humanized them a, a bit in such a small detail. I really enjoyed that part of the interview. Yeah, for sure.
2: We're about to head to our next match, but Mr. Ass is backstage and he got sneak attacked with a tire iron by Eddie Guerrero. He looks in jeopardy. And when we return from commercial, we find he's getting stretched out and Eddie is bragging about it as he gets wheeled away. Commissioner Foley is there though. And he furiously tells Eddie that the match is now going to be a triple threat match for his Intercontinental Championship. And that's our second match of the night. It's Eddie Guerrero defending against... Chris Jericho and X-Pac with the Intercontinental title on the line. Jericho and X-Pac are in the middle of a pretty big feud here and they go at it at the start of this match. And, you know, Eddie's perfectly happy just watching them go at it until he can find a time for strike. However, it doesn't pay off and he gets monkey-flipped by Jericho. He then sends both his opponents to the outside. The heels then start double-teaming Jericho. Jericho battles back and Pac has to save Eddie from the walls of Jericho. But Eddie's in no mood to return the favour, and he attacks X-Pac, only to get hotshotted into the top turnbuckle, bulldogged, spine busted, and lion-salted by Jericho. But before Jericho could cover, X-Pac low-blows him and hits the X-Factor. But before X-Pac could cover, Eddie drop kicks him away and steals the fall for himself to retain his title after 3 minutes and 50 seconds. Lee what did you make to this
1: I can't believe when you gave the time then how short it was because they crammed so much into this match it was really good I was surprised to see Jericho eat the fall to be honest but the match itself was great unfortunately sort of you get the feeling when X-Pacs coming out here that we're dead in the middle of this what they call X-Pac heat phase but I you know have always been a huge X-Pac fan so I was really pleased to see him going at it with Jericho and throwing Guerrero in the mix just made it all the better so yeah I really enjoyed it for what it was
2: I can see what you mean about the X-Pac stuff like he's still got the same Tron that he had in 1998 and he's in his best DX gear but DX aren't really a thing anymore
1: the DX guys like some of them are baby faces and some of them are heels and it just doesn't make sense it was very similar a year ago how Triple H and China were still aligned despite China being a baby face in a storyline with Jeff Jarrett and Triple H being the heel facing Austin
2: yeah that's
0: true Kyle what did you make to this I really enjoyed this match. It made me think, though, when Eddie and Pac were double-teaming against Jericho, it did make me think that that tends to happen in most triple threats. The heels or the two faces, they end up teaming up at some point. But I, I quite liked that, and I, I really liked the finish. I'm a sucker for someone doing a finisher and then nicking the pin, pushing them out of the way. So, yeah, I enjoyed it.
2: It's kind of why triple threats are such an... A hard dynamic, really, because you're always going to end up with two faces or two heels and kind of figuring out that balance. I thought this did a pretty good job of keeping everyone involved throughout the match. And I thought it was a good little TV match, really. The action rarely let up. I've got a feeling this was on the best of the Intercontinental title DVD set. It didn't live up to that kind of standard, but still a perfectly entertaining match and masterfully efficient time-wise. Yeah. X-Pac and Jericho continue to brawl in the post-match and they have to be pulled apart by dozens of refs. Then the police arrive to plead with Austin that premeditated manslaughter is a capital offence and he'd get 25 to life, but Austin just... Rolled his window
1: up in the cop's face. How did in the see those cops just leaving when he did that, by the way? Like, <laughs> I, the worst police on Earth.
2: We were all out of ideas and we tried nothing.
0: <laughs> it's so bad. If you watched the, the programme and, and the many times that the, the police have been portrayed on Smackdown or Raw, you'd think oh, I can do anything in the world and these (laughs) jokers.
1: They ain't gonna do shit.
2: (laughs) In the back, Kurt Angle bumps into the right to censor and claims he admires them and encourages them to go after the Rocks' WWF title because he's vulnerable. We'd all be winners if one of them won the title tonight and then it would lead to a good, clean contest between ex-member of right to censor and Kurt Angle at no mercy, and a guaranteed upstanding citizen would come out of the match as the champion. Stephen Richards shakes Kurt Angle's hand and agrees. Um, I don't really see right to censor as a a WWF championship-level attraction. Bag of shit, a lot of them. (laughs) Can't top that. (laughs) If only this was... Once again, promoting No Mercy coming out next month. And, and Stephen Richards air-dropped right into the WWF because like, Big Show got removed. <laughs> Our good Will Ambassador, William Regal, has joined commentary for the next match. He is delightful here. Greeting everyone. How the devil are you? <laughs> He's got a vested interest in this one because... In our third match of the night, it's the European Championship match with Al Snow defending against Albert, accompanied by Trish Stratus. Al Snow has kind of gone to the next level of D-Lo's representing different countries gimmick here. And this week, he is representing Hong Kong. And Regal is understandably aghast.
1: As he should be. Michael Cole stretches all belief trying to convince us that this actually makes sense as a European champion. yeah
2: so he claims that snow is doing this because hong kong used to be a british colony and snow thinks it still should be a part of britain so al snow pro colonization here lads (laughs) al and head are both wearing straw hats and fu manchus and al gives Lawler a photo of hong kong regal again here is stealing the show on commentary when trish comes out he exclaimed I must say, she is a buxom
1: wench, isn't she? <laughs> I could get behind Pervy Regal.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: it's very rare that he gets a chance to do it, but he has this kind of ooh uh, misses like um, Les Dawson face that he does sometimes. I really wish he'd be able to pull out a little more because, you know, he's his <laughs> 80s and 70s comedy nerd. Michael Cole tells us that Al had already retained his title against Albert's partner, Test that previous Monday on Raw, thanks to Head. We begin this match with Al being unable to knock the big man down, and he sends him to the outside, but manages to whip him into the barricade. Back in the ring, Albert got a big clothesline and his awesome catapult into the middle rope. Then Snowfikes back, tagging the leg, and pulls Albert's balls into the ring post but he couldn't hit either Albert or Trish with head, and that allows Albert to fight back with a massive butterfly suplex that gets a near fall. The powerbomb then gets attempted, but Al counters with the Hurricane Rana to get the win and retain his championship after three minutes and 24 seconds. In the post-match, sore loser Albert tried to attack with head, but then ate an enziguri and a headshot, but this allows William Regal to jump snow from behind and sneer. Not exactly setting the world alight with the wrestling here, but then again, they didn't exactly get the time to do so. Albert's spots were the highlight for me. He looked like a beast before, you know, the typical slip-on-a-banana-peel finish. Kyle, what did you think?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you. It was really a bit of a, a hit-and-miss match. Like you said, they didn't have much time. Albert is always looking strong. Yeah, that's it's about it. It's not, not really many things I can say about that match. <laughs>
1: I went through this really weird sort of like cycle during this match because I'm not doing the play by play. My notes are a little bit different to Duncan when you come on and we do our SmackDown vs. Thunder and stuff like that. And I'm trying to sort of be a bit more like color analytical. And I'm like, oh, this match is okay. The crowd's really into it though. It's surprising. Like they're popping massive. Hang on a minute. No one's moving in the crowd. What the fuck? This is all fake. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, we must have had a crowd full of seagulls tonight, lads.
1: it it was like literally the same pop noise every time and it was just like on loop and i'm like hang on a minute you can't play the exact same noise 10 times in a three-minute match and think we're not going to notice it was okay but the three count was botched as well albert's shoulders were nowhere near down so that was a bit of a dampener for me too
2: yeah it was it was not a smooth finish at all back to Truckside with Austin and Jim Ross is there pleading with him that Rikishi is not worth it. The look on Steve's face convinces JR to back off and think otherwise from the looks of it. We then see Triple H and the G walking towards the arena for their match and I think Road Dogg mentioned something about Benoit having even fewer teeth after this one. <laughs> The WWF rewind with MTV Sports Pure Ride is Benoit beating Triple H in a tag match on Raw after Jericho, shit canning X Pac to the outside, accidentally crushed Triple H on the top rope.
1: Somewhere in the distance, a single tear just fell down Kyle's cheek. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes, they are going really hard in on Chris Benoit potentially having Triple H's number here.
1: Nah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really, um, as as we're about to go into this match, I'm actually going to, for once, probably be on Kyle's side a little bit more with the Triple H stuff. This, for me, is one of two major moments in his career where I felt, if he had, had a baby face run, I really could have got behind him and then yanked it. Obviously we talked about why with Rikichi earlier. And the other one is in the immediate aftermath of WrestleMania X seven, when I was all hyped for a triple H versus Austin feud that never materialized either. So maybe he might've had a few more fans if they just let him, you know, occasionally be the good guy.
2: Yeah. It's a surprisingly similar arc to the rock really, isn't it? He, looked on the verge of his first big baby face push and then oh it was a swerve and he's the corporate champion triple h here trying to salvage his marriage and gaining some kind of sympathy out of that looks on the verge of being a a big baby face and then oh swerve he orchestrated austin getting run over i don't know kyle as a triple h expert you obviously would have wanted to cheer triple h for a lot longer wouldn't you
0: Oh, absolutely! I mean, there's no doubt that Triple H as a heel is incredible. But just seeing these phases of him being a face and thinking, "Oh man, you could just you could just push it a little more," you know, it's it's quite disappointing. But you know, who who else could you have to push as a massive heel? Really thinking about it.
2: Well, obviously not Rikishi.
0: <laughs> well yeah exactly so like you your only guy really if you think about it is you've got the rock top face you've got austin top face in that sort of tier is triple h there and thereabouts? but you can't have three faces that are supposed to push the business so one of one of them's got a crack and you know it obviously with they pulled the gun on
1: triple h Yeah, he took one for the team this time around, didn't he? Yeah.
2: Before we head into the match that drew us all here for this show, we're around about the halfway point. So I thought we'd get a quick half-time question time in here. Now, just to timestamp this for anybody listening in the future who's rich on all that moon money, we're around about the middle to end of July 2021 here. And live crowds have just started returning to wrestling shows. We've had Money in the Bank weekends the first time. WWE had live fans since WrestleMania. So I wanted to ask you, gents, for some of your favorite pops slash crowd reactions in wrestling. Lee, I'll go with you first.
1: Well, two immediately spring to mind. One is the return of Triple H in Madison Square Garden uh, (laughs) after his his injury. I told you, Kyle, I'm going to be (laughs) nice It's actually one of my favorite returns ever. It was just so epic. It also came off being bitterly disappointed he didn't show up at Vengeance because he was on the pay-per-view post of the month prior. So that's one. And then the obvious other one is Rock and Austin at WrestleMania 18. That crowd was just electric. And um, actually, off the top of my head, in a similar vein, Cena and RVD. They're three crowd reactions that just have always stuck with me. Oh, no doubt
2: about it. Yeah, I was right with you with the Triple H stuff, Lee. I was such a Triple H, Mark, after his injury that... He was on the WWF Weakest Link special and he won that. And I went into school the next day and, like, yeah, he won because he's the game and he's that damn good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see why you two have gotten on so well over the years.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All excellent choices there, Lee.
0: Kyle, what about you? So I was obviously going to say the Triple H run because that is incredible. So we were aligned on that one for me the other two are returns so like Taker when he came back with his motorbike gimmick That pop was incredible. came in and cleaned house. And then the hardies at Mania, oh my word. I remember watching that live and having chills, like, oh my God. Yeah, so they're my, my pick straight off the top of my head.
2: Oh, that Hardy Boys return is the loudest I've dared to be at 3am <laughs> on a Sunday morning. <laughs> oh my goodness. Two, I wanted to highlight uh, Returns as well. Somewhat topical, given who's been coming back recently. John Cena at the 2008 Royal Rumble. Yeah. 30th entrant, his music plays. You could audibly hear the shock in the way people were reacting when he came out in that match.
0: Wasn't that the return where he'd had that injury and he came back way, way, way earlier than anybody expected?
2: Yeah, he had a torn pectoral muscle in October yeah. and it was advertised as being up to six months recovery time and three months later he's in the Royal Rumble and the best part about this was people popped for the surprise and then he started wrestling like wait a minute we're not supposed to like John Cena Boo! <laughs> the other one I wanted to highlight was The Rocks return in 2011 when he got announced as the surprise host of WrestleMania 27. That was incredible. I remember I logged on to Facebook that day and Rock had an old picture of him in his wrestling gear and it said finally on it. I'm like, oh, he's not gonna. And then, yeah, he came back. And I mean, unfortunately, his run kind of petered out a bit after that, but nothing's going to replace that reaction in my mind.
0: I mean, our our most recent one that again just to time stamp this podcast the most recent one is cena's return i mean that was a hell of a pop
2: that was fantastic it's so strange hearing a uniform reaction for john cena yeah could we say that that's a success
0: for roman that Cena is completely over
1: that, mm. I think just the, the amount of time he's been away, like that Triple H one was quite similar. Wasn't, I mean, not as long, but like he was a dastardly heel when he went down and just time, it just makes you really, really miss people as well. But yeah, Roman has been doing some really good work. It's a shame that the shows are highly unwatchable. Otherwise, I think I could probably really enjoy <laughs> yeah. that right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so we reach our fourth match of the night. It's what everyone was waiting for here. It's a tag team match with Chris Benoit and Perry Saturn, accompanied by Terry, taking on the Road Dogg and Triple H. It's at this point that Michael Cole revealed that Val Venus is going to be the right to censor member that will challenge The Rock. And at the start of this, Road Dogg promises to induct the Radicals into the dog pound before Triple H joins him at ringside. Cole hypes up the Triple H versus Chris Benoit match that's going to happen at No Mercy in 10 days I would definitely check that out. That is quite the clinic. Lee, I know you've probably not got play-by-play notes, but why don't you talk us through this match here as best you can? This, this, This is your reason for dragging us back into
1: 2000 once again. So it starts even with the entrance. Like, I just... Road Dogg, his spiel was always one of my favorite parts of the show. And i tell you what, he's incredibly over here doing it, just mixing it up instead of being with Billy Gunn. He's with that G to that A to that M to that E. <laughs> Bringing <you> tri- <laughs> tri- tri- Triple H out. But yeah, this this match obviously was like the main sticking point from remembering this show and really enjoyed it. I, again, go back to how it's a shame Triple H had to flip because a Triple H and Chris Benoit two or three-month rivalry at this point in time would have been incredible. Every time they get in the ring, it's brilliant. Highlights of the match for me are, first of all, Road Dog's pants with the DX down both sides. I want a pair of them for our home. <laughs> <laughs> the double juke and jive punches where Triple H and the Road Dog simultaneously hit oh, the three jabs. Yeah. Road yeah. Dog goes to dance and Triple H is like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing Saturn up at this level as well was another, like, small point that I think he was one of the guys that really got sort of Thrown to the wayside when they were able to bring that influx of talent around the invasion so as much as i enjoyed this match it's probably more filled with regret that two of the, the guys in this who were really one was a really good worker and one was super over pretty much fizzled out within a couple of months of this to be honest
2: that is a shame actually yeah i do remember the one time i saw triple h wrestle on sunday night heat it was against perry Saturn. it's right around this time it might have even been the same taping actually they were of course both trained by Kilikowski, so they kind of had that connection there. Typical that we get the Bret Hart Stern and First bump in this match from Benoit. And like you say, the double shake rattle and roll was just hilarious. <laughs> like the look on Triple H's <laughs> face is like, oh, what do you expect me to do? <laughs> the finish for this one was Benoit and Triple H were on the outside. Triple H goes for the pedigree but, tri- but Terry made the save and then in the confuffle <coughs> Benoit walloped the with a chair shot but Triple H then whipped Saturn into Benoit to knock him off the apron and get the pedigree to get the win after 5 minutes and 48 seconds just as Hebner is raising Triple H's arm Benoit locks in the cross face and once again we get the dozens of refs and Road Dog you have to break it up and what was a pleasant enough mid-card tag team match, Benoit and Triple H was clearly the focus here. You know, sat and in the pin and Benoit getting some of the heat back at the end there. Very efficient with their time. And like I said, the, the double shake, rattle and roll. Fantastic. Kyle, what did you think here?
0: I really enjoyed it, to be honest. I quite <laughs> liked. Whenever... Road Dogg was getting pinned and Trips had to come in and save him. Normally, any tag team like partner that would come in and, and make the save, they would make the save and that would be it. But Triple H, was he would then just do another move on the guy that he's already hit to try and just put over that he was a powerhouse instead of making the save. He had to make the save and do something else. So I quite enjoyed that. Kerry Saturn doing a moonsault off the top rope. Where did that come from? That was cool. I didn't think he had that in his locker. And, yeah, it was just a really enjoyable match.
2: Really really liked it. Mick Foley's walking backstage. Is he going to meet Austin? Then, when we return from the break, they replay Benmar's attack, and we see Stephanie is trying to convince Triple H that that wouldn't have happened if she was at ringside. They're a teaming life, but Triple H still won't allow her to come to ringside. Benoit's kind of attitude in this feud kind of scared Triple H off having her around and he's starting to suspect Steph might be a liability oh Mick Foley's actually coming out to the arena he's going to be the guest host on MTV's Heat on Sunday but he's here for some more serious business here he should feel good about solving the case but he actually feels sick because it's a whole new beginning He's lifted Stone Cold's suspension because he was beating up everyone until he he could find out who ran him over. And he pleases Austin to come to the ring because Mick can deliver him Rikishi. He literally takes a seat in the ring waiting, and JR's once again at side delivering the message. Give the man the benefit of the doubt, damn it! (laughs) That convinces Austin to come out to a thunderous pop fully recognises that no one tells Austin what to do. Oh, he must have seen the title of his theme song. (laughs) But he's pleading with him not to run down Rikishi. Rikishi probably isn't here tonight anyway, but if he is, if he takes any action like that, it will become a police matter. So, right, okay, why isn't it a police matter that Rikishi ran over Austin? (laughs) Like, the statute of Limitations isn't that short, lads, come on. Mick promises Steve that he'll let him fight Rikishi, at no mercy, but Austin asks, why should he wait? And Foley again reiterates, he'd wind up in jail, and the fans, right here in Los Angeles, California, won't get what they want. God bless that man getting a cheap pop in this segment. <laughs> Austin's all, 10 months out of my life. And you're offering me a damn match. Ah, but it's going to be no holds barred. Everything will be legal. So Austin accepts and promises no arm drags and drop kicks. Just a stone cold ass whipping. What did you say the name of the pay-per-view was again? No mercy. Damn right. I kind of think that Mick Foley solving this case was his peak as commissioner here i don't know what do you guys think
1: yeah i think by this point i think the humor in it all had started to drop off a little bit i really liked probably around june july august time of mcfoley and then he brings deborah in as a lieutenant commissioner and he's quite funny i remember you know catching out edge and christian and kurt angle in all their hijinks that was probably the, the real peak for me and i think at this point the show became a bit more serious in the main event scene, and that's probably not Foley's forte at this point in time.
0: I think I agree with Lee with that. I think comedy Foley was so much more entertaining than the the serious side.
2: He's still got a kind of playful element here, but I feel like having a babyface authority figure is really difficult to maintain, and... Having him being kind of firm but fair here, like he was willing to follow the leads on the rock even though probably doesn't didn't ever truly believe it was rock that did it. He was suspending Austin even though it's kind of like something that would get him fan backlash and things like that. I think that like they were kind of getting the mix all right here. The bubble would really burst when Triple H's heel turn happened and he couldn't even pal around with him. Mm. Oh, God. Lawler's hosting an XFL cheerleader tryout in LA on Sunday at 9pm because it's never too late for puppies. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> this is bad. Yes, so bad. <laughs>
2: Did either of you lads see... The Sixth Day with Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: Yes. I don't think I have.
2: So I very recently listened to the How Did This Get Made episode on it. And the XFL was a featured part of the plot in there. Yeah. (laughs) Which is really funny. It's supposed to be like. 20 years in the future from when it came out, so around about now, and there's this whole replicant thing where cloning's got so good if football players have a serious career ending an injury, they just kind of like put him down like an animal and, and reclone them and you know regrow them. And just to show how like far flung into the future they were, the XFL was the prominent football.
1: League.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it belongs on that Poorly Aged Things Twitter account I think
1: <laughs>
2: On to our fifth match Of the night It's for the WWF Tag Team Championship The Hardy Boys Are the defending champions Accompanied by the Women's Champion Leader And they're facing Taz and Raven Now Raven and Matt Start this match trading slaps Then they trade discus punches and Jeff, quick as a whippet, lures both of the challengers to the outside to set up for the poetry in motion over the top to the floor. Taz then ducked the traditional poetry in motion and Jeff backflips off the top rope, only to get snatched into a Tazplex. Jeff is able to kick Raven away and tag in Matt, who scored a second rope clothesline, while Jeff leg-sweeped Raven. And then the Hardys do their stereo leg drop on Taz. Matt backdrops Raven while setting up for the twist of fate, and then Jeff and Raven bugger up, sending themselves to the outside. Matt actually hits the twist of fate this time, but Los Conquistadores distract the referee, and Dose hits a very familiar-looking reverse DDT. Taz then locked on the Taz mission, but with the ref dealing with Raven... Jeff snuck in with the Swanton bomb and put Matt on top, and that gets the Hardys the free count to retain their titles after four minutes and seventeen seconds. What did you guys make of this?
0: It was okay. There was nothing really major that came out of it. It's always great to see Hardys do their signature stuff. Nice poetry motion over the, the ropes. Loved that. It was a, a nice slick finish. But other than that, there's nothing major happened.
1: I agree completely that the poetry motion over the top was the highlight of the match. Two real standout things for me is, one, you know, talking about how Saturn didn't really get where he should have been. Taz is criminally underrated in the Fed. They totally wasted him, and that's always been a big regret of mine. And the other was like, I really found it hard to get into this match because of some absolute dickhead holding up an L.A. Dodgers cap in the middle of the hard (laughs) cam through the whole fucking match. Like, (laughs) put your fucking hat down, you moron. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, a rather routine win for the Hardys here. They got to do the cool double teams, and they still survived the Los Conquistadors running. Taz at least got to do a cool suplex in this one. For me... This whole run that we've been looking at, me and Kyle, the back end of 2000s here, Raven has got off to a very anonymous start in the WWF.
1: Mm. Came in with a whimper.
2: Yeah. Things will hopefully perk up a tiny little bit. We'll just have to see. Rock is shown looking pensive in his locker room, and then Kane starts walking out towards the arena for his match. We then get the WWF Boot of the Week from Lugs, and it's Kane and Kurt Angle being tag team partners who can't get along on Raw. Who'd have funk it? (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie McMahon-Helmsley then comes out, sans music, and announces she'll now permanently be in the corner of the next WWF champion, Kurt Angle, which leads us into our sixth match of the evening, with Kurt Angle taking on Kane. Kurt wanted a hug from Steph, but had to settle for a handshake, and then leaves his gold medal in Steph's safekeeping. Kane chased Kurt around the arena at the start of this, slamming him over the barricade and gorilla pressing him back in the ring. Kurt fights back by sending Kane into the buckle and hitting a great German suplex. Right, King on commentary here saying that you'd obviously want Steph at ringside just for her looks alone. Surely, being attracted to your own manager would be kind of distracting, right? You
1: would have to think so.
2: Yeah. I guess that's why Lawler's on commentary and not (laughs) WWF champion. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie sneakily blinded Kane with a cup of water. Kurt goes for the German again, but Kane blocks, only to get hit with a belly-to-belly instead. Kurt's celebration is somewhat premature, and Kane sits up. No sells Kurt's right hands hits the big boot, front power slam, top rope clothesline, and the choke slam. But Steph distracted the referee. That gets her pulled up by the hair by Kane, but that distraction allows Kurt to sneak an amazing reverse victory roll, holding onto the ropes to get the sneaky free count. Four minutes and twenty-five seconds. Kane then choke slams a couple of refs out of frustration at that result in the post match. In what was. I've got to be honest, a pleasant surprise here. Kurt Angle's matches in 2000 with The Undertaker were absolute dog shit. So it was kind of surprising to see him pull something this nice out of Kane, really. Rather sprightly. Kane looked like a monster. And Kurt got to look like the master of leverage with his suplexes and that roll up at the end. Lee, what did you think?
1: Yeah, I think... This is in the period of time where Kane's stock really started to drop for me. Him losing a three-minute match with a with a roll-up to Kurt Angle is probably like it's just he's lost all his aura, and it's it's a real shame. I think Kane was for someone who had the, the lengthy career he did, you probably can't complain too much. But um, it was the sort of the beginning, the end of my favorite era of Kane. Let's say that much. Kurt's definitely on the way up. Great heel heat adding Stephanie. So the match is what it was. But yeah, I think overall the presentation worked for Kurt, not so much for Kane.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think sort of the the decline of Kane, you don't really see big bad Kane until he gets rid of his mask. Like from now moving forwards. And yeah, I thought it was a, a nice presentation for Angle. Very impressed with the pin finish. Thought that was really smart. Yeah, nice and simple.
2: This is my favourite of Kane's gear, though.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: I guess from here on out, he has that little last hurrah with Jericho and then he's in the Brothers of Destruction and I guess he is kind of more and more humanised until the mask comes off. The mask reveal, I think, is somewhat underrated as a period of his career. I I thought it was immense.
1: Mm. Yeah, that feud with Shane McMahon's actually surprisingly good as well. Yeah, I love the kind of slasher horror vibe to it, and the um, the car battery electrocution to the bollocks. Um, <laughs> how do you? <laughs> oh, God.
2: Backstage, Funaki tells Austin where he can find 2 Cool, and when we come back from break, we've shown Jerry O'Connell from Jerry Maguire is at ringside, bringing all the stars out in Hollywood. Mm. <laughs> Stone Cold asks cool where Rikishi is, but they've not seen him since Monday. Grandmaster then speaks all sorts of street lingo to tell Austin Rikishi never let on at all that he ran Austin over. And so Austin clocks him for sounding like a prat.
1: How was he ever a fucking baby face? Like, he, is, <laughs> he, he is so unlikable. It's not funny. And this is coming from someone who who is a hip-hop fan. Like, nah, gee, he ain't holler at me about that nothing. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a fucking
2: idiot. <laughs> I think there's a reason all of my good memories of Too Cool involve dancing and no speaking and no sound. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep. <laughs> Being a good promo is not the be all and end all. Sometimes it's better to shut up.
2: <laughs> yeah. Rock is pacing backstage and then we see Stephanie trying to motivate Val Venus in his locker room. If he wants to have the people listen to him, he needs to defeat the people's champion. He has right on his side and that will always prevail. Well, we'll see about that because it's our main event next. For the WWF Championship, The Rock defending against Val Venus, who's accompanied by Stephen Richards. The fans go ballistic for The Rock. They're obviously not bothered that Rikishi did it for him.
1: <laughs>
2: nope. Hang on, Kurt Angle's music plays, and he comes out with Steph. And he thinks it's awful interesting and convenient... But the Rock had nothing to do with Austin being run over. But if OJ can get acquitted, he's sure some of these Los Angelinos will be gullible enough to believe that. That's Rock try to head out on the ramp and meet him, only to get sneak attacked by Val, and that eventually leads to Stephen clotheslining him before the bell even sounds. Rock then fires up in the match proper with a clothesline of his own. Stephen held on to Rock's leg coming in from the ropes. So, Rock made Val collide with him over the apron, but Steven soon low bridges Rock to the outside, allowing Val to clothesline the Rock over the barricade and control the match. Rock won't fall asleep from the sleeper and comes back with a Samoan drop and a DDT for a two count, and then stereo clotheslines send both men down. Steven sneaks the belt into the ring, but Val ran right into the rock bottom trying to hit him. Luckily, Steven distracted the ref for long enough to allow Val to kick out. And then the ref gets distracted again, allowing the belt shot to succeed at the second time of asking. And it gets a close near fall. Rock then rolls through Val's top rope crossbody for a near fall. Rock bottom Steven hits the spine buster and the people's elbow to retain his championship after seven minutes and three seconds. Angle immediately in the post-match jumps to Rock, Saves Steph from a rock bottom with a low blow, a pair of Olympic slams, and then holds Rock up for a pair of slaps from Stephanie to leave Kurt and his business partner celebrating to close the show. Thoughts on this one, Kyle?
0: As much as I hate the right to censor, I thought, well, no, I do. I do hate the right to censor. <laughs> I felt like The Rock did really well to help Val Venus. He's so good at selling moves against him like when they're when they're outside the ring and venus is giving him a beat down and then venus throws him into the ring the rock rolls the length of the ring and lands in the turnbuckle and you think he didn't even throw him that hard that's a sell and a half and i think anybody that goes up against the rock has that you know on their side so i think that sort of elevated the the match better than you know what it what it could have been but yeah it was just it it was nice and simple you sort of knew where it was going richards was always going to be a pain in the ass and anger with the rundown to continue the feud
1: you right on the money kyle about the rock selling it's possibly even overselling a bit for val Venus. i think val Venus had definitely lost any hope of being a main event player by this point in time but um yeah the rock always makes his opponents look good For me, like, the overwhelming thought in this match, and I wonder if you guys agree, does it annoy you as bad as it does me that Val Venus wears a different colour tie and trousers to the rest of the RTC?
0: Absolutely annoying.
1: Yeah, Yeah. for sure. It winds me up irrationally, like, and there's never been any explanation for it. Like, everyone that joins the group gives up their whole persona and wears the same thing, except for Val who decides to wear white pants for some reason. (laughs) To be honest, I'm slightly
2: more irritated later on when Balby Cannon just refuses to wear his tie
1: and wears the faded jeans instead of smart trousers. Stephen had just lost all... all he'd lost the dressing room by this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the face paint was wearing off. <laughs>
2: He's kind of Mourinho's second year at Spurs level leadership.
1: <laughs> <laughs> by that point
2: yeah so it's good of you guys to highlight the rock selling here like i say the Val probably wasn't going to be a, a top line act anytime soon but i felt like it was a very kind of paint by numbers match from him here like he's got some interesting stuff in his canon and he didn't really bring any of that out he was kind of dragging it down with his rest holds in the middle of the, of the match as well but I thought it was kind of serviceable on the whole in terms of where this sits in, in where they're going here that was never going to win this it was all about Kurt Angle messing with The Rock's head and proving that Steph is going to be his trump card in this feud it was good that they had him closing the show standing tall for someone who's a kind of sniveling and and conniving heel it's good that they're allowing him to actually get the upper hand here that closes off the show so what do we think of the show overall guys who was your standout performer and what was your favorite match lee we'll start with you
1: favorite match is absolutely the tag match at triple h and the road dog against Saturn and benoit really really enjoyed that brought back great memories just from start to finish even the entrances all the way to the post-match angle just loved everything about it standout performer i guess a bit of a, is a bit of a tougher one uh, they didn't really feature other than kurt angle one person all that much and stone cold but i mean you can't really give him standout performer for sitting and ignoring people in his truck i guess so uh, <laughs> probably not gonna go that way i don't know i think I'm going to go with the overall memory of the show and I think for me Triple H was the one that I thought was, was my guy on this show so I'm sticking that way.
2: <laughs> Lee coming on the show here with some Mankind level gimmick
1: infringement. <laughs> it's, it's it's my then now whatever face turn after two years.
2: <laughs> Kyle, what did you think?
0: I'm the same as Lee. That tag match was brilliant. I think it, it's great that it's sort of smack bang in the middle of the show and yeah i think the standout performer for me as as always is my boy my boy
2: trips (laughs) i was all right with this show really i'm still annoyed because the first smackdown that that i watched for this show was kind of better
1: sorry (laughs)
2: <laughs> Lee, you've got a lot to answer for.
1: <laughs> you and I will get to that at some point with Thunder. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Pretty good, really. I think it, maybe it peaked a little early. The stuff after the DX and Radicals tagger kind of wasn't on the same level, really. My favourite match was the IC title match. They got really good with getting their shit in, so to speak. And it was very entertaining. And... Like you say, it's hard to kind of focus in on one performer in here, but I, I got a lot of time for Eddie Guerrero here. He's got a pretty good angle going on, sneaking the wind, keeping his title. And Mick Foley's kind of playing his role all right as well. Nobody really kind of stole the show, so to speak. Yeah. Lee, we are smack banging in the middle of. SmackDown going head-to-head with Thunder on your show, starting from when it debuted in 1999. So we're about a year ahead of where we are on, on on Rory's Nitro. How different does this feel as opposed to like the first month of SmackDown?
1: It's got some striking similarities and some big, big differences. The striking similarity I I sort of touched on briefly earlier is the weird DX amalgamation. I nowadays in my mind get like 99 and 2000 DX all jumbled together because of all the the weird comings and goings of the group. But the big addition obviously is the Radicals. The difference they've made to the quality of the in-ring action is probably a big difference. The early Smackdowns that we're still going over have got these huge crowd reactions but the show's in-ring quality is being carried by a very select few. Even Jericho has not hit his straps yet we've seen the exit of, of ken shamrock and a lot of the better work is a and not there yet so probably promo wise i would say where you and i are is probably a little bit above this but in ring work it's it's miles ahead now in 2000
2: oh i can totally see that yeah and it's helped them kind of space for show out a little bit more it's still got that really frantic oh look somebody's walking the arena what's gonna happen kind of thing but then i feel like the segments themselves still get time to breathe. But you can continue to follow the fortunes of SmackDown and Thunder going against each other in 1999 if you head on over to Lee's podcast at Raw is Nitro Pod on Twitter. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes and all that good stuff. Anything else coming up in the pipeline?
1: Yeah, I've been putting off recording for for about a week now, but I'm going to get to it this week. I've had some some major dental issues, so speaking's not been my favorite thing to do this week. But I've got the SummerSlam 96 versus Hog Wild 96 show ready to go. Obviously, I've watched the, the SmackDown and Thunder we're going to get to next. And Richie and I are going to be looking at Beyond the Mat versus Louis Thoreau's Wild Weekends episode focused around training with the WCW power plant. So a bit of different stuff coming up very soon.
2: Oh, getting! I'm gonna be looking forward to that one. I was hoping it was gonna go in that direction.
1: <laughs> even the
2: last time you were together, oh, it's fantastic. We love Louis Theroux here, here in our household.
1: I'd never heard of him, but it was really enjoyable. I can't believe I'd never ever heard of it. Which I'll get into when I when I do the show. But I can't believe that's not better known and really popular. Oh, he's huge over here. Yeah,
0: he's brilliant.
2: That'll wrap up our show. So remember you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast, on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast, or give us a like on Facebook, where you can keep up with when our episodes drop. Twitter's our most active place if you want to chat about things other than what's going on in our episodes. Give us a follow on SoundCloud or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or you can also find us on Stitcher Radio and Spotify, You can also find on our SoundCloud page a playlist of all of our episodes so far, as well as all of my guest appearances on Lee's show, the Rora's Nitro podcast. The next episode we're going to be looking at, Kyle, is the Royal Rumble 2001.
1: Banger. That moment in time, I talked earlier about how hard it was to get pay TV in Australia. I got my first job at KFC about two weeks before that. Got pay TV for myself three days before the Rumble. It was installed and that was the first pay-per-view I ever ordered with my own money. Ah, nice. Good man. Yeah, can't wait to hear that show. Still my favourite ever Rumble match too, by the way. It's going to be a banger.
2: Look for it coming up. Hopefully get that sorted in the summer amongst some other things. For now, it's a goodbye from Kyle. Goodbye, thanks for listening. It's a goodbye from Lee.
1: Thanks for having me on once again and thank you everyone for listening.
2: Pleasure as always, and it's goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road.